episode 176 above ground podcast explain away the pain with melissa spaulding disclaimer the host of this podcast timothy patrick and will foley are by no means medical professionals however having lived experience with mental illness themselves they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis by sharing their stories they hope to create connection by creating connection they hope to help you find your purpose And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the peer perspective, it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to episode 176 of Above Ground Podcast. That's right. Coming up in a couple minutes, we're going to be speaking to EMDR consultant, Melissa Spaulding. And she's going to help us explain away the pain. And we all need a reason to explain away the pain. But one thing I do not want to explain away is the awesome people we met this past Sunday at Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market. That's right. Last past Sunday, TPP and I were at Empire Live in Albany for the third actual Empire, yeah, Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market. It was awesome. A lot of friends, a lot of old friends, made a lot of new friends. Handed out some resources, had some real conversations, because that's what we do here on Above Ground Podcast. We have real conversations about real meaningful stuff that's tough to talk about, right? Because that's what mental health is, man. Mental health is a challenge for some and not for others. So it's all good. We appreciate everybody stopping out. Now, for the next stuff, Saturday, November 5th, I, Will Foley, will be at... Fuse box, the old QE2. That's right. Uh, November 5th, I am opening a show for Ike's Wasted World, Gay Tasty, and none other than Black Belt Jones. That's right. Mike Langione. Langione. Langone. However, you want to pronounce it in that Italian thing. Um, Mike is an awesome dude. He is the reason why Upstate Punk Rock Flea Market exists up here right now. And he is also the singer in Black Belt Jones. And Mike will be our guest for our November 9th episode, I believe, which is episode 178, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have it in front of me right now, but Mike will be our interview for the 518. Uh, Mike has an incredible story of recovery, man, and and. He is a cool dude and a good singer, man. They're a great band. They sound like Queens of the Stone Age. They're kind of that vibe and that deserty vibe, which I dig. So I'm super stoked to be there on November 5th at the Fuse Box. I haven't been in that place since it was the queue so many years ago. And I also have a special, special guest coming up to do a song with me that you'll all know and love and uh, hint. It might be somebody on this show. You never know. But I'm not saying who it is. And I'm not saying what song we'll be playing. But, you know, I'm just saying hint, hint. So you might want to come out on Saturday, November 5th. $10 at the door. Um, Get you in and get you rocking and rolling. It's going to be a night of heavy, harder rock. And I just happen to be opening the proceedings because, you know, that's what we do here. And for the next thing. So a couple things. Tim. TPP has a new book coming out soon. We have not received the date as to when it will drop, but it is dropping. And never underestimate the power of you. It is coming, and we're going to be promoting it big time. We're going to have a conversation about it when it comes out. Yes, so you're going to have to get it. We will keep you up to date on where to find it, how to get it, and where to leave your reviews. So we got a busy, busy year Uh, We've had a busy year, and the year is winding down, and we are getting close to winter, and we are getting dangerously close to daylight savings time, which for a lot of people, that's sad. It's sad time. I have seasonal affect disorder, just like so many of us depressives do, and I always, the week of 
daylight savings time really throws me or daylight savings time however it is in the, in the fall when you fall back it's just it sucks because i don't like coming home in the dark from work it makes the day really long so all of you long sufferers out there for the winter here up in the northeast make sure you get your self-care routines in there so now without further ado it's episode 176 it's time to explain away the pain with our guest melissa spaulding hey what is up everyone welcome to above ground podcast above ground podcast because you can't serve below that's right are you down with tpp in the evening <laughs> yeah and morning afternoon <laughs> and the evening that's me sounds like a sounds like a um a slow jam radio station right why am, <laughs> I, fe- why am I feeding back uh we are joined uh this evening as we were just saying by melissa spaulding melissa thank you very much for being here melissa is a clinical mental health counselor from utah she is also a wellness coach an EMDR practitioner. And are you a trainer also? Uh, I am not a trainer yet, but I'm what they call a consultant. And so I'm she's... kind of bringing up the next generation. Ah, awesome. And she specializes in healing women's anxiety, depression, and trauma to move past your past into an adventurous life. Shit, that's, that's quite right. the mission. That's quite the mission you have there, and I like it. And she also has she also has New York ties too, so that doesn't make her a bad person either. <laughs> so welcome, Thanks Melissa. For me on, you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. Timmy, yeah, you want to start? Joining us. You want to start off? Oh, I just you know, um, yeah, just maybe if you don't mind, kind of uh, go into a little brief definition of what EMDR is. And uh, how, maybe how you kind of came about learning about it and, you know, practicing it. Yeah, absolutely. So I got trained in EMDR back in 2013. I was really fortunate when I got trained up in it, I got trained as part of a larger clinical team. Um, a bit about my background and, and even now still how I practice is that I've always believed it was really important for people to have a place to go to do their healing. There's still so much of our culture that says, you know, just keep busy, have another baby, invest in your marriage, you know, join a club and it'll get better. And I've always been more of the mindset of, well, wait, what if we slowed down? What if we could step away from our life for a moment, whether that's an hour a week in weekly therapy, or it means going away for a month to 90 days to really just heal yourself instead of trying to hustle through it. And so I come from a a background of working in residential treatment centers, really lovely treatment centers where people could be held. And one of the treatment centers that I was working at, the whole team got trained in EMDR at the same time, which was great because we were all speaking the same language and the clients were all speaking the same language. And now I get to bring it into my private practice and help the average person that that wants to fit it into their weekly life. Very cool. Very cool. Um, can, can you tell our listeners what EMDR is exactly? I've never experienced it. Um, we've, we've touched vaguely on it in the past over the last couple of years, talking to different people who've experienced it themselves, but never, I don't think we've experienced any professional that does it. So you're the first. All right. So EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. What it is most well known for is its ability to help people work through trauma and PTSD. That's how it started. Now we know EMDR can help a wide range of issues from addiction to depression, to anxiety, to um, you know grief and loss, miscarriage, all of these things. And what EMDR is really well known for is eye movements. So kind of the bread and butter, how I explain EMDR to people is you come in to work on something um, and you're gonna talk with your therapist about it. But part of that talking is also moving your eyes left and right. Like if I was looking at the left corner of my laptop and the right corner of my laptop and the left corner of my laptop and back and forth and back and forth, what that eye movement does is it helps to regulate the nervous system. 
so that as you're talking through and feeling through in your heart and in your body, these issues that you want to work on, we're adding in a way that your body naturally regulates anyway. So the thing that I compare it to that a lot of people can relate to is when we get that really deep REM sleep and we don't know it, but our eyes are kind of shifty behind our eyelids, right? What's happening during REM sleep is your brain is almost, I always think of a bush being trimmed. It's trimming away the memories from the day that you don't need anymore. Like for example, the name of your barista at Starbucks. You don't need to remember that name. It's, it's not critical for your development as a human being, right? You do need to remember your kid's birthday when that report is due at work and maybe what you need at the grocery store when you wake. That's happening while those eye movements are occurring. So what that means when it comes to trauma is we can add in those eye movements and it helps to trim out all of the memories that you don't need all the time because they're in the past. So is it, is it, does the, I guess, does the brain itself act as like a, how does it know, I guess, which ones and you know, which ones to get rid of, I guess. Well, I think that's, that's sort of the big question, right? Because people that, for example, experience PTSD, it's like we have our memories and they're stuck right to the front of our head. I always imagine it like a post-it note being stapled to the front of your head and everywhere you look, you're just going safety, 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 right? The reality is most of the day, you don't need to be assessing constantly for life and death safety, right? We're luckily for us, you know, most of us listening to this podcast, we're living in America. We live in relatively safe environments where we're not worried about bombs or cougars coming into our hut, right? We, we can breathe a breath of relief and stability. EMDR, these eye movements, it's almost like they take that post-it note and they remove it from your forehead and they file it back to the appropriate place so that you can say, I remember that. I felt unsafe when that happened, but right now I'm doing a podcast and I don't need to be afraid that I'm going to get abused or a cougar is going to come get me. Would you say that it, it sounds like it's like grounding a bit? It's very grounding. Okay. Um, I hear huh. people say things like, I feel like I'm changing my core values. I feel like this change is happening in my bones. And that's a big part of EMDR. In fact, this is, this is my favorite thing about EMDR is that it really works with not just how we remember things in our head, but how we remember them emotionally and how we remember them in our bodies. You know, because talk therapy, talk therapy is great. I do a lot of, you know, that sort of traditional sit on the couch, tell me about what ails you, right? But if all we needed to do was talk about it, Tim and Will would have gone out for a drink and talked about it and been done, right? You would have called up a girlfriend or a guy friend, or you would have gotten your partner and said, I really need to talk about it. And then you would have felt better, but we don't because our brain gets stuck on things. And our heart gets stuck on things, right? We can know that something is bad in our head, but emotionally still ache for it. We can know that something bad happened and, and it was for the best and still be torn up that it's not ours and we wanted it, right? So we've, and we've, you know, I, I've worked with first responders and they tell me, you know, I know in my head I did the best that I could, but man, I'm waking up in cold sweats every night. And it's like, yeah, because your head knows you did the best you could, but your body didn't catch up yet, right? EMDR does a beautiful job of getting the head, the heart, and the body to all come together and, and be talking the same language about what you've experienced. I think I really need to experience this because I'm still, I, I can understand where your eyes moving back and forth would, would certainly do something. I, I just, and so besides the rapid movement of your eyes, are you actually doing therapy during these sessions? Like, are you processing things like one at a time or like, how does that, how does a session generally work or like, a, like your first time through? Sure. So most times when people come in for EMDR, it starts like any other general session. You come in, you meet your therapist and you do a big long history because EMDR is great. I do a lot of EMDR and it's also not for everybody. 
it's not a cure-all. It's not a magic pill. I don't wave my wand and you move your eyes and all is well with the world. You also have to figure out, just like with any kind of therapy process, if now is really the right time for you to be addressing this. You know, you might feel like you're years late to the game and saying, gosh, you know, I should have addressed this decades ago when it happened. Or you might be saying, I'm about to move out of the state in a month and I'm going to say, ah, now's not the time. We're not going to get through this in a month. Like, why don't you just wait? Here's some coping skills. And when you get to where you're going, find your EMDR therapist. So the first step is really kind of assessing if EMDR is the right fit for you, what you want to work on. And if now is the time, part of the teaching is also making sure that you can cope with what's going to come up. EMDR has this really beautiful way of bringing things to surface, helping them pass. The eye movement seemed to kind of speed things up for people, but you, which is great because there's, there's the, the distress that you feel passes more quickly. I hear that from a lot of my clients, you know, almost like a, a contraction during birth. We talk about it. You kind of peak like a wave and it's real intense, but then it comes back down after like 30 seconds, right? But you've got to be able to tolerate that pain coming up. You can't avoid it and you can't clench and, and muscle your way through it. Healing doesn't happen when we're muscling our way through it. It's just impossible. That's a great, yeah, that's a great quote right there. Healing doesn't happen when we're, yeah, that's But It is, that's but it is a full contact sport though, man. Full contact sport. <laughs> <laughs> With the EMDR, do you, because obviously you were kind of, you, you mentioned that you, as a first time kind of talk with somebody as a, you know, consultant or whatever, and you kind of go over what, you know, what the plan is. Do you ever see where someone wants to do it? And then as you do it and start processing things like new stuff comes to light, like it brings out stuff that they kind of almost stored away somewhere. Yeah, it can happen. There's a lot of things that, you know, sometimes we just forget, you know, there's Tim, I hear you talking about two different things. One is that I see clients and a lot of people have this experience where they say, I don't remember my childhood. I know it happened, but there was some trauma and I honest to God don't remember it. And I don't know what to do about that. And I'm scared about what I'll remember, right? There's kind of that category. And with EMDR, the beautiful thing is that the client sets the pace. And I'm one of those clinicians, I believe I'm, I'm an expert on no one but me, right? So I can't tell people, you know, how this is going to go for them or yeah, you should absolutely do EMDR. It's a very personal choice. Coming to therapy is a very personal choice, right? Because it's not easy. It's like going to the dentist. Nobody wants to go. You don't always like your teeth and you're really glad that you went. <laughs> therapy is kind of like that. Afterwards, you're like, oh, I'm glad I took care of myself. During the process, it doesn't always feel good. And you have to be prepared for that. I've been through it myself. I've been through therapy and it didn't always feel good, but I sure am glad that I went and I'm better for it. The other category is sometimes we just, we remember stuff that we haven't thought about in a really long time. And a lot of people have these aha moments where they didn't realize things were connected the way that they were. I tend to think in pictures a lot. And when I think about EMDR and the eye movements, I almost imagine like we've got you know, badminton's in our brain and they're just tossing those memories back and forth across the net until eventually someone goes, oh, got it. I got it. I see it now. Right. And those are really beautiful moments. And the great thing about EMDR is the client is reaching those on their own. Now, how did you start with EMDR? Did you have your, did you take part in it and it, and it made such a big difference that you were like, okay, now I got to learn how to do this. Like, how does, how does, how does one get the EMDR bug to, to train in? Right. So I went to my first training and typically how it happens is it happens over the course of two weekends. So you go to your first weekend, it's like three days long. And then a month or two later, you go to a second training and you complete your, your training process. Part of that that weekend training is having EMDR done to you and you doing EMDR to other people, because like any good therapy training, you can't just sit in a chair and learn how to work with your clients. It really goes much better when you have that client experience and you also get to practice on somebody else and have a trainer correct you. Um, so to me, it just made sense when I understood, I hadn't experienced it before. I had no idea what it was when I went to my training, 
but it really resonated for me this idea that my head my heart and my body could be on three totally different pages regarding events in my life and when i experienced the emdr myself it just it felt really good it felt really easy it felt like i was having my own aha moments you know where someone can tell you know let's for example you know someone can tell you all day long that wasn't your fault that wasn't your fault that wasn't your fault and then one day you're out hiking and all of a sudden it's like a lightning bolt hits you and you go, oh my God, that wasn't my fault, right? Like you feel it, um, you know? And EMDR just naturally helps people come to those moments. I loved how client-led it was because um, I've, I've been in my own therapy and I've had therapists just feed me lines of bullshit and I'm just like, you know, I'm a therapist. Like, do you talk to your clients this way? Like I had a therapist, I was in a session once and she was like, Melissa, when one door closes, a window opens. And I was like, I'm paying you lady. Like Re a window no, opens. No. Really? You say that to the wrong person in therapy and they're, they're looking for that window. There's plenty of fish in the sea. There's going to be other opportunities. And I was just like, no, I can't. And honestly, when we feed, when therapists feed those statements to their, to their humans that they're working with, it's so less impactful. You can get that from a self-help book. The beauty of therapy is that it's happening in a relationship, that it's a, it's a human experience. It's two humans going through this together. After I got my training in EMDR, I did end up going through EMDR therapy for an experience that I had had myself. Um, and that was really beautiful. I knew when I had my experience the next day, I, I got on the phone and I called an EMDR therapist. And I was like, yep, this is what I want. I know I need it. And it was great. That is pretty yeah. awesome. Super cool. I, Timmy's just looking at it like, are, uh, are you processing this? I'm just thankful that we, we finally have, you know, Melissa here and, and able to kind of go more in depth because I I guess I, I thought it was... In, in, a, in a different way, I thought it was more in depth, but it uh, it sounds a little bit. Um, I don't want to like downplay it, but it sounds kind of uh, simple and and upfront. It's like it just kind of like she said, it it, it relaxes the nervous system and, and you know gets that homeostasis, if you will, and 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 just keeps everything together in place. I, I guess I just I was a little nervous as to what because I'm just so ignorant to this. So I didn't really know what to expect and I, I'm just enjoying it. So. Oh, God. You know, I, will, I will say that there are certain things about EMDR that, that make it unique. There's certain, you know, we were kind of talking about what to expect in an EMDR session, you know, and some of the things that make it unique is we do work on specific memories, um, oftentimes early memories that maybe set the stage for you to have later experiences. Um, the way that I talk about it with the humans that I work with is it's like addressing the, the foundation of a house. You know, you can replace the windows, you can replace the siding, you can fix the roof, but until you get to that foundation of the house, you're still gonna have cracks in a year. Like it's, it's and it's no one's fault. You just, you gotta go back to that, that earlier stuff. Um, you know, and what we know about, about stress, right? And trauma is stress. It's really intense stress is that the effect of stress is cumulative, meaning that it stacks up like blocks. And then that whole tower of blocks at some point is going to come crashing down, you know, and oftentimes when you talk to people, you know, and you ask them, well, what finally set you off? It wasn't anything big. It wasn't even the big thing that happened. It was the day that they freaked out at their kid and they realized, you know what? I can't ever do that again. But maybe it started with a sexual assault, you know, that they haven't talked about and now their marriage is struggling and they've stopped, they had to quit their job because their mental health was so bad. But really what got them was the day they lost their temper at their kid, which is a relatively, like none of us should, should we should never try to do that, but it's a relatively small thing. You know, I, I tell people there, you know, the example that I use is when I moved to Utah, I had to get my new driver's license, right? In secret here, I was like three months late getting my new driver's license. I didn't know there was a time frame you were supposed to do it. So I came into it with guilt, right? So there's my first block in the tower. 
The second block is I went to the DMV, not even thinking I didn't bring any documents with me. Second block, I had to leave no driver's license. I came back the second time and I brought photocopies with me, which I didn't know wasn't allowed. Third block. Third time I went to the DMV, I walked into the lady. I had left work early. I was like, yes, I'm going to get this. I'm getting my license. I walked into the DMV with five minutes to spare. And the lady behind the desk said, you know, we close in five minutes, right? I could have hit her. I'm, I, I never would have. I never would have. And I do not advocate for violence. But the moral of the story here is it wasn't her. She was just reminding me that we closed in five minutes and she had a tone. The real story was I came in full of guilt and shame. And my husband was the one to point out that I was late in my driver's license, which adds a whole other level, right? So guilt and shame that I'd been caught. And then two failed attempts followed by a third. The effect of stress is cumulative. None of those things are a big deal, but it was enough to bring me to tears in my car. We have to address our stress. We just have to. Agree. Agree fully. You actually had said, sorry, Will, I just got to say this really quick. Um, I, it was, a, a it must've been like a reel or something on Instagram. And you had said something about with, you were talking about self-care, the small, meaningful way, like do it in the small, meaningful ways. And I think a lot of people misconstrued what self-care really is anyways, but they always think that it has to be something kind of, you know, big and, and or whatever. And the, just the, the way you said it, I, I think it nailed it. It's just like small, little, meaningful ways is mm-hmm. like really, I, I don't know. I just really, that stuck with me when I watched that. And I'm like, that, that's definitely, I feel like that is like on point. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, I tell people self-care is brushing your teeth when you wake up in the morning. It is the music or the podcast that you listen to after your therapy session. It's, you know, before this podcast, you guys can't see it. I'll hold them up. I wrote down little affirmations on tiny post-it notes to remind me of the energy that I wanted to have as we talked about this. It's those small things. I could yeah. afford a million dollar coach to prepare me, but I didn't. I wrote a post-it note on a 10 cent, you know, <laughs> suck it to my desk. That, that million dollar coach is already inside you anyways. You don't need that. <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, but I, I, that's, that, that was kind of the point, I guess, is, um, I like to call it routine maintenance because we, we perform routine maintenance on our, on our vehicles and, you know, our, in our homes or whatever. And, but we seem to lose that when it comes to ourselves and our bodies and our minds, we don't kind of perform it at all. And if we do, it might be like very rare and, and it could be to the point where, you know, you're already burning oil and leaking this. And, and, you know, now you want to do a little bit of self-care and it's like, Hey, you know, you need to keep up with this and routinely do it. Melissa, what's a misconception that people have about EMDR? A misconception. They think that it's some sort of hocus pocus, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I will say that I saw su- the word pseudoscience next to it yeah. several times in my searches on, on Google and stuff. And, and of course, like, depending on where you go, yeah, you're going to find that and... And again, I, as, as someone who does acupuncture like every month and like really believes in energy and that, all that stuff, I could, there's like a lot of these modes that are quote unquote pseudoscience aren't going to work for everybody because you have to also be receptive to these things too. So, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did want to know about the misconception thing. And I, that's where we kind of got the pseudoscience thing from. So Absolutely. And it's, it's tricky because, you know, I want, I want all kinds of healing methods to be available to people at different price point and accessibility. And also the eye movement part of EMDR has been picked up by a lot of other kinds of health practices. And now there's like, I forget what it's called, rapid, rapid eye technology, where basically like you, you're just doing eye movements and you're doing them with like a life coach or, or somebody that, um, and I mean this with all due respect, someone who went to like a weekend hypnosis training in Vegas, right? I live in Utah. So that's where you go for these workshops. It's the, ne- it's the next major city. You know, that's very different 
than a clinician who spent a year studying or three years studying hypnosis at an institute. Both people are gonna say they practice hypnosis. One person has a certificate from online and another person has a master's degree in three years of trained skilled observation. EMDR and the, the eye, that's where kind of the eye movements unfortunately have gotten chipped. They've gotten picked up um, by, by other kind of health practices, which is, you know, you just have to know what you're getting. Along with that, I think the other misconception is that it's all about the eye movements. And it's really not. It's really not. It's about identifying the correct memory that you're working through. It's about knowing what's your belief about yourself when you think about that memory, which is hard for people. You know, for example, if I'm working with that first responder and they're giving me that statement of, I know it's not my fault, but when I go to bed, the thought that runs through my head is, it's all my fault. Or if I'm talking to a mom that's lost her baby and she says, I know it's for the best. I was in that NICU, like God bless my baby. But when I'm laying in bed, the thought that goes through my head is I should have done more. I should have taken my prenatals. I should have had more ultrasounds. I should have X, Y, or Z. And a lot of times, oh, I just get chills talking about it. Like the EMDR, it's about working through those beliefs that they're not cognitive. They're on a body level. Cognitively, you know, you did the best you could. You know you didn't deserve that. You know that you had a right to be safe as a child. But when you're sleeping at night, what's the mess that runs through your head? That you're not safe. That you're not safe. So do you think that just what you just off of what you just said, do you think that we get that the feeling in our body and then that creates the thought? I think that they're all kind of happening at the same time. You know, I used to live in Flagstaff, Arizona, where there's a really robust population of Hopi and Navajo individuals. And I remember I was talking with um, a Navajo client and I was explaining EMDR and the head heart body connection. And they just looked at me and they go, you mean the three brains? And I was like, yes, we have three brains. Yes, we they are. They're far ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ears. We've got one symbolically in our chest and we've got one in our gut that goes north, south, east, and west. Um, they're all brains. They're all having these conversations at the same time. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. We've, uh, we've had um, the pleasure of having a bunch of great conversations with uh, different people from all over. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the times that EMDR came up was with a, a first responder. Um, our friend Rob and uh, he 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 mentioned a couple times after the sessions he was like literally wiped out. He said he was just wiped, but he speaks very highly of it. Um, and he said that it, it it has helped him. And I think he's as far as I know he's still doing it and still still helping him. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool to hear. Yeah, I just I think this one of the reasons why. I wanted to get a professional to come on and, and, and speak about it is because I, I think it's something that you're not hearing often. And we always try to provide people with, um, you know, new tips, tools, or anything, anything that can help, you know what I mean? Because it's, as we kind of said in the beginning, it's, it's never just one thing, you know, it's never one thing that gets us here and it's never one thing that's going to get us out of here. So, uh, you know, to, to kind of present a bunch of different things is, is, you know, what we like to achieve. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the great thing about EMDR is that I never feel with my clients, like I'm just doing EMDR because a lot of times there's, there needs to be some teaching. There needs to be some coping skills brought on. There needs to be, um, you know, some, some context provided to what they experienced. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I'd love to share with you guys that I find myself talking to clients a lot about is the different kinds of trauma that occur because people, they, they, sometimes they can't quite put their finger on what happened. Right. So if I were to break it down into three categories, I would say there's, there's overt trauma, there's covert trauma, and then there's vicarious trauma, right? Overt trauma is the stuff that's real obvious, like a shooting at a school, right? Being physically or sexually abused by somebody. 
the loss of a child, something that everybody could point at and say, yup, that's trauma. That that's bad. That is painful. That shouldn't have happened. I'm so, so sorry. That's overt makes you go. Oh, right. <laughs> that's how you can remember it. Covert trauma is the sneaky stuff that you just, it didn't maybe feel right when you were growing up. Um, we're talking about trauma. So I'm giving a lot of kind of sensitive examples, but we're far into this enough. You know, for example, no, please do continue. (laughs) People will say, you know, I was never sexually abused, but my dad would just leave his porn out and I would see it. And that felt weird. Or, you know, I'd be getting out of the shower and somebody would walk in and nothing ever happened, but it felt weird. Right. Or, you know, nobody ever yelled at me, but there was this look that I just wanted to be invisible when they looked at me that way. It's this just real sneaky stuff. When, when tone gets used to abuse people, when sarcasm is used to abuse people, that's that. It's just sneaky and slimy and it's hard for people to put a finger on. And in that way, it's, it's not a better or worse game, but man, that, that stuff is tricky to deal with and it, it hurts just as much. The vicarious trauma, the last one is when you didn't experience it, but you witnessed it or you were a part of it energetically. Um, And what I mean by that is, for example, the thing that I ended up going to EMDR therapy for the first time is my, my parents lived back at New York and there was a flood. There was a major flood. It hadn't happened in like a thousand years, literally. And I wasn't there. And I couldn't do anything to help. And that sucked. Like I have no other (laughs) word for it. I wasn't a part of it. It didn't affect me directly. Um, And it's not like I was witnessing it the way that like a child might witness a parent being abused and they're kind of hearing it through the bedroom door that kind of like, that like I wasn't a part, but I I wasn't even witnessing it. But energetically, I knew that was happening and I couldn't help. And that really stuck with me. I knew it stuck with me because there was a day after it happened that I was driving to work and I could see rain clouds coming in. And all of a sudden my body just clenched. And I felt like I, I felt like I was going to have a panic attack. Like my heart started racing and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I know what this is. This is the flood. This, you know, and so people really need to understand. And the, the reason why they need to understand is because we want to explain away our pain. We want to say, well, it wasn't really that bad. It didn't happen to me. Or it really wasn't that bad. Somebody else had it much worse. It all counts. It's just different. It all counts. It all counts. Yeah, we've we've talked about having the negative Olympics at times with people, but again, right. but again, you can't like again my trauma compared to your trauma. You can't. It's it's all trauma, and it's all and it's all bad. Well, you know, because the other thing that people will say when it got when it's real bad is they'll say that's just how it was when I was growing up. Yeah, that's that, from our that's generation. Drunk every night. That's just how it was. That's just how it was. You just it's amazing what you get used to. Or can get used to, or can, or can survive. That's right. Our survival mechanisms as children are quite amazing. When you hear some of the things that you hear, yeah, I was just going to say that. Will actually, because she was yeah. talking about uh, the sarcasm and stuff earlier, and I was like, I kind of do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do that too, and it was done. And it, it's mean, like I know. I know. I don't. I don't do it with intent to, you know. And we do it to each other, like. Yeah, I do, yeah. I do it to everybody in my house. I know it. And I do it people to myself. Do it to me. Yeah, <laughs> I me do it too. To myself every day. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, funny, funny story about that. See, the thing about sarcasm is it's an intimacy killer. And when I say intimacy, I don't mean sexual intimacy. I mean emotional intimacy. It's Which... a truth and a block, all oh. at the same time. Right. I never thought so, of it that way. In, when, even if we're doing it to ourselves. So one night, right, I was washing dishes in my sink, which I don't like. Yeah, nobody likes doing a sink full of dirty dishes. And it's like, it, it like has leaked onto the counter. And I pulled up a pot and the water splashed up onto me and soaked me. 
And I remember saying out loud, well, this is just great. Nobody was around me. And I stopped myself and I, I remember thinking, why am I lying to myself? I'm the only one in the room. And I put down the pan and I said, I really hate doing dishes. I'm so frustrated and I'm so tired and I just want to be done. And I had a moment of truth. With, I corrected my own sarcasm with myself. Why was I lying to myself? Because I didn't want to feel it. That's what sarcasm does. We share and we block. Oh, you just hit me on that one. <laughs> oh, boy. I need to, oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was good. We, oh. Yeah, that was. I got I to gotta sit on that one. We, we yeah. use sarcasm to, to block out the uncomfortable. Yeah. Wow. Wow. To me, I think that's a good place to kind of, that's a good place to kind of leave it, man. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, yeah. I, let me, I got a question on that just because it's that, that's a doozy. It's, it's similar in the way that we, like you said earlier, explain away the pain. Is that, is that kind of, we kind of do that so we don't have to actually face the pain? I mean, I'd love to hear you answer your own question, but because I think, I think you maybe you know the answer. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I think, yeah, sarcasm is, it's a great way of keeping things shallow. It's a great way of making sure you're connected, but not super connected with people. It, it kind of keeps other people on their toes because they don't know what the exact truth is. Because you served them some truth, but not, not clearly, not directly, and maybe you didn't really mean it, but it was, but it was still the truth, and you kind of know that. And you know the the tricky thing. There's some research on this. I couldn't tell you who's done it or where to find it, but somebody out there did a study with kiddos, and surprise, surprise, they found that children can practice sarcasm a decade before they're even capable of understanding it. I think they said it's not till like 14 years old that like they can really even grasp, like really deeply grasp what's being said when sarcasm is communicated, but they can start serving it at like five. There's a lot of explaining there for me for life so far. And <laughs> for me, my whole entire life. Wow. So do you think at five, are they kind of mimicking? Or is it that it just comes out that way? I think it's mimicking. I mean, if, if they can't really understand it, but they're doing right. it. Right, that's what um, I was, yeah. You know, when I hear things come out of my kids' mouths that I'm like, oh crap, that's me. <laughs> right? Not because of what they said, but how they said it. Um, man, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was part of the reason why we gave you the looks when you said that, because that is it is uncomfortable because you're like, wow, you know, I never really thought of it because I never thought of sarcasm as as a truth teller sort of like thing, because, you know, you're just like, I, I don't I don't actually know how I've looked at sarcasm. I know I've looked at it as a fun thing to use, though, because I used I've used it a lot in my life. I know that. And I, if I could offer you guys just one other thing, because I work with a lot of women, female infants, when they come into the world, um, they can hear tones that male infants cannot hear with their ears. And so a lot of times, the reason why I share that is because, you know, I hear a lot of my female clients saying, I can't put my finger on it, but, you know, I just, it's in their tone. It's the way that they said it. I know there's something that's not being said. And I don't, I mean, the, the boys eventually catch up in their abilities to hear those tones, but we have to really consider, especially for those of us that have young children, our tone and the sarcasm, because even as adults, we know, we know when somebody is saying something that they don't really want to be saying, and it's coming out sideways. We know it. Um, that stuff, you get enough of it. It just adds to that tower that we're talking about. And it, it shuts down intimacy real fast. Yeah, and Lord knows we already know. Do, we already do enough to shut down intimacy in our relationships these days. Mm -hmm. So that's that's. Uh, so we don't want to do anything more than that, for sure. If you can, um, this because I said earlier, we're, we're big on like tips and tools here. So if there's something that you can offer us um, as for, for dealing with 
like negative emotions and those uncomfortable situations. Do you have anything that you can kind of throw us out, uh, you know, like a tip or tool or. I think my, my tip for the listeners today would be that, you know, and it's something that you said to him, those regular consistent, small acts of self-care are going to be what gets us through the hard times. A weekend at the spa is lovely. A vacation off of work is great. But at the end of the day, it's a daily life that, that we're coping with. We've got to make those small micro deposits into getting by. It's, it's about going to bed early because you're tired. You know, it's about eating when you're hungry. It's about going pee when you feel the urge instead of thinking, oh, I just have to get through one more meeting. It's all of these small things um, that, that add up. It's about letting your kids watch another movie so that you can take care of yourself. These are the small things that add up. Um, I think a lot of people want to make big deposits into their self-care bank account, um, but it's, it's, that's not what get us, gets us by. Nicely said. Very nicely said. Wow, you like heard it. it here, folks. That was awesome. You got to yeah. add to your self care piggy bank. Yeah, yeah. Because if not, that uh, that interest compounds. Yeah, that <laughs> debt, that debt's hard to get out from under, man. Yeah, that's what that I debt might that bury debt, you that debt, literally. Yeah. That debt might bury you literally. Mm-hmm. Wow. wow, Melissa, this has been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. We uh, we finish up the podcast every episode that we have an interview with three questions. So I'm going to let Timmy ask the first one. Do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? I, so it's, it's two words and I'm thinking of my clients. It's I'm sorry. And, and the reason why it's, I'm sorry is because there's a lot of people out there that are never going to get the apology that they deserve. And I find myself saying to clients a lot, like that should have never fucking happened and you deserve a really big apology. It shouldn't be coming from me, but let me just say, I'm so sorry. And people need to hear that. We we wanna get it from the people that hurt us, but oftentimes we don't. So it's, I'm sorry. Wow. Can't say anything about that. <laughs> no, I don't think there's anything to say about that. Cause that's that actually like the ability to even just be able to say those two words together for some people is a stretch. So yeah. So if you can say that, to someone who needs to have it said and then somebody can find the strength to say it. That's, that's huge. Yeah. So I'm going to, I've changed this question every time. Uh, I used to ask about animals cause people love their animals and I love my animals and stuff, but I like to like to add things as we're going through. So we, we talked a lot about self care and Timmy's a big proponent on tools. So my question to you is what is your self care routine? Like, mm-hmm. You're a mom, you got all this stuff going on. So what are you doing for yourself for self-care? My, my big thing lately is I get up early and I go to the gym before anyone else is awake. And especially, you know, my kids are at an age where every sentence starts with mom because they're, they're three and they're five. And so there's just something about doing self-care before anybody needs me, before anybody wants anything from me or has an ask and it's, you know, because they're kids and that is their nature, but, oh, it's just so delicious to give that to myself before anybody else wants to tap into it. I love it. That's awesome. Thank you very much for sharing that. That's very cool. I find the morning to be very, very beneficial, but I, I, but I, to put the practice together for more than a few days and not have to sleep in when I get up at like four o'clock in the morning for like three straight days, I'm like shot after a couple of days. Yeah, you're allowed. To, you're allowed to skip one day, Will. Ugh, dude, I've been waking up at six, so that's it's too late for me. <laughs> too late. So the last question is: If there was something that you would like to see done, or that you could do for mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, what would it be? I think it would be to push my agenda. Then this is a whole other podcast that self-esteem is really bad for you. I think that people are chasing self-esteem like it's the next best drug instead of just loving themselves right because when we have self-esteem that's good one day or bad the next or he has great self-esteem and my self-esteem sucks 
it becomes this roller coaster of self-esteem. And if that's what you are basing your relationship on yourself with, oh, I want more for you. I want something rock solid, like unconditional love. That's what I'd, I'd want to help people with the most. That kind of hits something straight at home because Tim, Tim and I have talked about self-love a lot on this podcast because mm-hmm. neither one of us have very much of it. <laughs> or, or I should say have not had as much of it in the past. Mm-hmm. I, I can honestly truly say and I've improved my own much needed and it's a it's long not, staircase, but we've we've gone up. That's right. Steps. <laughs> we've gone up some steps. We've we've got we've we've gotten out of the basement. We might have there gotten go. to the first level. We haven't quite made it up to the second level yet. Yeah. Uh, you know. But but hey, every step counts. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Every step does count. That's right. Every step counts. I absolutely think self-esteem is a step, but steps can get unsteady. You know, because it's like if I wake up in the morning and my hair looks good, my self-esteem is high. But if I wake up in the morning and my skin is crap and my hair is bad, my self-esteem is low. You know, and especially women, we get sold our our self-esteem a lot. You know, and if if, if we get a promotion at work, our self-esteem goes up. But if we didn't get the promotion, our self-esteem goes down. It's real tricky. It's real tricky to live everything based on self-esteem instead of just... I am inherently valuable. Yeah, we deal, we deal with that too, though. I yeah. I deal with that a lot. Thank goodness for therapy. Thank goodness for therapy. Thank goodness for therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, thank you so much. It is very been true. Awesome, awesome experience talking to you. Uh, it was a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, we'll have you on again. It'll be awesome yeah, to talk I'd to, love you, to again. Join you again. Absolutely, we'd love to have you. All right, you guys have a good night. You also. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey, that was Melissa Spaulding. And you can find Melissa at guidedwellnesscounselingut.com or you can find her on Instagram at guidedwellnesscounseling. Until next week, get well, be safe, stay above. Thank you for giving us a listen. New episodes every Wednesday. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can share, rate, review, and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Other ways to support the show? Follow us on social media. Share the content. Share our episodes. You can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod. For further concerns, show ideas, or just to say hi, you can email us at abovegroundpodcast at gmail. Once again, thank you for listening and supporting mental health. Keep the conversation going and stay above.